Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3CR.org. My name is Rebecca and today from the Brainwaves team I'm joined by Helen and Christine. So this week we're talking to Catherine Mills, Associate Professor and Director of Treatment Research at the Centre of Research Excellence in Mental Health and Substance Use. Also joined by Catherine today is Dr Christina Morell, Research Fellow, also from the Centre of Research Excellence in Mental Health and Substance Use. Thank you guys for joining us today. So Catherine, could you please explain to our listeners the meaning of comorbidity and how this relates to mental illness and substance abuse? Yeah, so comorbidity most broadly refers to when two or more diseases or disorders co-occur in a person, so that could happen at the same time, or it might be that someone has two or more disorders over their lifetime. Um, And there are lots of different combinations of comorbidity, but our research does focus on the co-occurrence of uh, mental health and substance use disorders. And these are two of Australia's most common and burdensome health conditions. So about between one in four and one in five Australians will have at least one of these disorders in their lifetime. And about uh, between a quarter and a third of those will have the other disorder as well. In terms of which disorders, the, the most common disorders that people with substance use problems have are depression, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. But they can also experience elevated rates of uh, bipolar disorder, OCD, psychosis, uh, ADHD, eating disorders. And there are also lots of other different types of comorbidity, <clears throat> excuse me, like Um, physical illnesses, intellectual and learning disabilities, um, cognitive impairment and chronic pain. So although um, it's often referred to as well as dual diagnosis, but most of the time they have more than two issues that that they're dealing with. Um, And people can also have significant problems, even if they don't necessarily make uh, criteria for a diagnosis of a disorder, but are experiencing symptoms that are causing them um, difficulties. Just for our listeners at home who are just tuning in and who are unaware of what the Centre of Research Excellence and Mental Health and Substance Use is about, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your role and, Chris, if you want to talk about your role and how that plays a part? Yeah, so the Centre of Research Excellence um, is funded by the Australian Government to try and improve um, research that will add to our understanding of how mental and substance use disorders co-occur and also about how we respond to those in terms of prevention and treatment of those conditions. Um, So we're relatively new. We've only been around for the last five years. Um, My research in particular uh, focuses on the treatment aspect of how do we best treat people who have mental and substance use disorders, um, as does Chris's as well. 
Yeah, so I'm a research fellow at the Centre of Research Excellence of Mental Health and Substance Use, and similar to Kath, my research is looking at how we can improve our understanding and our responses to co-occurring mental health and substance use disorders. Okay, thank you. Um, some people may be surprised to learn that substance abuse disorders are officially recognised as psychiatric disorders, but isn't this the case? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, the tendency for the wider public to think of and respond to substance use and people who use substances as a moral issue rather than a legitimate medical condition is one of the primary obstacles people with substance use disorders face when they're trying to get help and access treatment. Our culture also encourages drinking at levels that place people at risk of harm. And these cultural attitudes can be a barrier in terms of people recognising that they might have a problem or might be placing themselves at risk. And in fact, there's um, been some research conducted by our colleagues um, which has shown that it can take Australian adults an average of 18 years from the time that they've been diagnosed with an alcohol use disorder to access treatment. Okay. And how common is it for people with mental illness to turn to drugs as a coping mechanism? I mean, is it is there usually like a distinctive pattern? So is it that mental illness follows um, drug use or is it drug use precedes mental illness? Actually really common for people um, with mental health conditions to use substances in an attempt to relieve or help them cope with mental health symptoms. And this is often called self-medication, and which makes complete sense that people would do this um, because it works. You know, it, it does make you feel better, but only temporarily. Um, and what tends to happen is that when people use um, or when people repeatedly use the drug, they can develop a tolerance to it and they might need more and more to get the same effect. Um, and when they aren't using, um, the symptoms of their mental illness tend to come back and in some cases it can be exacerbated and then the person might need to use more and they end up in a cycle where their mental illness and substance use are maintaining and exacerbating the other or making each other worse. So in the long term, it's not really an effective way to manage mental health. Um, and also in these circumstances, a person's mental health symptoms can become more apparent after they stop or reduce their use of substances. But in terms of the second part of your question when you asked about which caused or which came first, Kath, do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. So one way um, is, like Chris said, that um, people might develop a substance use disorder after mental health disorder has its onset. But it is also possible that substance use can also induce a variety of mental health symptoms, so like symptoms of depression, bipolar, anxiety, uh, OCD and psychotic disorders. Also that there's uh, the possibility that there are shared risk factors that put people at risk or make them more vulnerable to developing both substance use and mental disorders, like mm. socioeconomic status, for example. But as Chris said, regardless of how they come to co-occur, once they're established, they serve to maintain and exacerbate each other. In, in Australia, for, for women, it's that anxiety disorders or mood disorders, being the most common mental health disorders, tend to precede substance use disorders, whereas for men, the pattern is more development of an anxiety disorder followed by a substance use disorder and then followed by a, a mood or depressive disorder. But really, they, they can happen in any order, and most people tend to develop disorders between their mid to late teens through to their mid to late 20s, but it can happen uh, in, in any order and at any stage of life as well. Does separating alcohol from other drugs encourage people to overlook the risks of alcohol? That's a really good question. Um, it's really important to remember, and you've really highlighted that, uh, highlighted this with that question, that alcohol is a drug 
and it's associated with a high degree of harm. And I think that so many people forget that alcohol can be such a dangerous and a harmful substance just because it's legal. But in actual fact, it's tobacco and alcohol, which are two legal drugs that are the biggest contributors to the $23 billion annually that are attributed to alcohol and other drug-related harm. And alcohol advertising is everywhere. You know, it's on TV, it's associated with sports. It's really difficult to escape. So although I think pulling the word alcohol out from alcohol and drugs can be interpreted as a way of minimising its impact and risk, I think it's also a way of making sure that alcohol is associated with harmful substances in a separate but equally important way. Mm, And I think that's also really interesting as well because... Um, when someone says drugs, like you immediately think of illegal drugs, but then like my mind goes to prescription drugs as well. And Mm. I think there's also a bit of stigma around drugs, especially within the mental health community that I know some people won't ever take medication because they're afraid of getting addicted or they just don't know how to deal with it. And I think a lot of people in Australia, especially, like, we're focused on drinking. Like, it's basically it's culture. drinking culture yeah. here. Um, and I think many people seem to overlook that it actually is um, a substance that is very much over-abused. Like, drink driving especially. Like, it's such an important issue. And I don't know. I don't think many Australians pay attention to the whole what alcohol can do, especially to your mental health. Like, it can make you angry, it can make you sad. And I think that's also really interesting just to get, like, your perspective on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and people do tend to, to overlook those impacts that alcohol and, and other drugs can have. And I think you're completely right that people also tend to dismiss um, pharmaceuticals that can become drugs of dependence. And obviously we've seen an increase in Australia in, um, I guess, the not so much the misuse, but just that people are starting to develop their problems in related to pharmaceutical opioid use in particular. And that's just something that is prescribed for them. And tolerance is something that will happen with repeated use of any drug, whether it's prescribed to you or not. But I think also what you mentioned there about people with mental health conditions potentially being averse to taking medication, uh, I think you're absolutely right that it is a, a stigma issue. Um, and especially if they've had a substance use problem in the past, uh, there can be, uh, particularly if they attend substance use services, sometimes there is this philosophy of there should be a complete drug-free lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because drugs have also done a lot of good for us as human beings. And in some cases, uh, people do, well, their life can be considerably improved um, to have a mental health condition if they are taking medications that can help with that um, and a lot of medications you know if used in the right way they're not going to necessarily lead to having problems with the drug mm-hmm. thanks so much for that um so how easy is it in our society for people to slip over the line from casual drinking to more harmful consumption i mean do do people in the do you find that people in the general population have a good awareness of what safe alcohol consumption levels are No, and I guess part of that is that there isn't really um, a safe level. Um, But I think it is important to note that the vast majority of Australians don't drink in a manner that places them at risk of harm, but it is very easy to slip over. Um, And I guess we're not just talking about harms in terms of the likelihood of developing 
uh, a substance use problem, but in terms of uh, placing your physical health at risk and also the possibility of injury. So the Australian guidelines are to have no more than two standard drinks per day um, to reduce the health risk over a person's lifetime and no more than four standard drinks on a single occasion to prevent alcohol-related injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's very easy uh, to do because when you think of um, like a schooner or a pint in Melbourne of beer, um, it's about two standard drinks. So you only need two of those um, or more than two of those and you're drinking more that can cause you harm. Um, and for young people in particular, there is no safe level of drinking. Any use can be harmful to the developing brain. And we know that for every year that we can delay the onset of alcohol use, we can reduce the chances of a person developing a substance use disorder later in life. Hmm. Is it also a concern that when kids are in high school, I know there's a few of my friends who are underage, they start drinking from a very young age. However, I was always brought up and told not to have, not to consume any alcohol until I was over 18. Um, do you guys find it's prevalent that younger people are drinking more these days than they mm-hmm. have in the past? It's interesting you should say that because I think that's definitely the perception, but the latest figures that came out of the National Drug Strategy Household Survey, which is a national survey, mm-hmm. have shown that use is actually decreasing in younger cohorts. Um, oh, really? Which is, real, which is really good news, yeah. Yeah, that is <laughs> and, so um, good. And I think some of it, you know, we, we have some really good programs that are available to try and help young people to, I guess, make informed decisions about their drinking. Um, yeah. For example, there's one called Climate Schools, which you can look up online, uh, and it's a cartoon-based program that can be conducted in, in high school students. Uh, and that really teaches, it's, it's not about sort of this whole just say no attitude or anything like that, but about young people making informed choices about when they're going to drink and if they are, how to do it in a way that is going to reduce the risk of harm. Yeah, that's actually really interesting mm. because um, when it brings up drinking in young people, I automatically think of schoolies and how everyone mm. at schoolies like drinks and it, it's it's quite concerning how like it all I don't know, like it seems to me that a lot of young people turn to alcohol to deal with situations because I don't think many people have learned the right ways of coping. Yeah, and it's also uh, a lot about the perception too because we do see so much in the media that paints a really bleak picture um, about young people's substance use. Mm. Um, but what you find is that is a, a small proportion, or a relatively small proportion of young people, and that's part of what a lot of the prevention programs look at is about normalise or you know telling young people that if they're not drinking and if they're not drinking in a harmful pattern, that's actually the norm, um, and they don't need to aspire to this this harmful pattern. What are the particular drug drugs with the highest risk of abuse? Well, we know that um, tobacco has the highest risk of dependence. Um, we're also currently looking at the risk of dependence in the Australian general population across a range of different drug classes. And we've found that the drugs with the highest risk of dependence are stimulants, and these include amphetamines, methamphetamine, speed, ice, base, ecstasy and cocaine, and also opioids, and this includes heroin, prescription and non-prescription opioids. 
and followed um, by these two sedatives, alcohol and cannabis. Okay, that's that's interesting. And mm-hmm. I guess you mentioned before that it was tobacco that contributed the most in terms of the financial burden. So in terms of the highest risk of abuse, it would be stimulants, but in terms of financial burden, it would be tobacco? So the, the highest risk of abuse is with tobacco. Okay. And then opioids and stimulants as well. Okay. Um, but tobacco, because it is uh, far more prevalent, um, like tobacco and alcohol use are the most prevalent drugs used in Australian society. So they, it you know, makes sense that they do contribute to the most harm. Um, whereas it's only a relatively small proportion of the Australian population that are using opioids and stimulants. So the um, the costs, I guess, to society are proportionately less. Mm, okay. Moving on to, I guess, the next question is. Is there a connection between childhood trauma and developing a substance use disorder later on in life? Mm. Yeah, not, not everyone who has experienced a childhood trauma will go on to develop a substance use disorder, but it certainly does place them at increased risk. And childhood trauma has been linked to an increased risk of all mental health disorders across the world. And the prevalence of Trauma exposure tends to peak around adolescence and this is a time when the developing brain is particularly susceptible to the effects of both trauma and substance use, which is a problem. So once people are getting to treatment when they're adults um, for their substance use disorders, we tend to find that up to about two-thirds of those people also have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is often developed as a consequence of childhood trauma. And in terms of what the types of traumas that they experience. It ranges from sort of you know, neglect, physical and sexual abuse, but also things like life-threatening accidents and, and natural disasters. But um, those trauma symptoms can make it difficult for people to reduce or stop their use because their symptoms frequently return when they start to reduce their use. But we've uh, conducted some world-first trials looking at how can we best treat people who have uh, both both substance use and trauma-related issues. We found that we can address them effectively if we do it in an integrated fashion, so treating both disorders at the same time with the same clinician. And we're about to start a, a new trial next year to see if we can intervene a bit earlier um, around the time that the trauma and substance use issues have their onset so that we can sort of try and prevent that long-term chronic uh, cycle between those disorders. Some people uh, dismiss drug use because they see it as a choice, yet many mental illnesses involve people making harmful choices. Self-harm and anorexia come to mind, as does choosing to stay at home all day because of depression or anxiety. Do we need to view chronic drug use the same way we view these conditions? Well, I I guess the same can also be said for physical health conditions because there are many diseases that are either uh, developed or exacerbated because of our lifestyle choices. But being able to change wider culture and public perception around mental health conditions and substance use would be a huge step uh, towards people with these conditions being able to access the right care. And at the moment, they run the risk of exactly that, uh, being told that it's a choice and that they should just stop it. But it's not just about choosing to use the substances. It's far more complicated than that. People are often trying to just live their life and deal with what's going on for them in the best way that they can. And once a person has a substance use disorder, it is very hard uh, for them to get out of that. And it's a very brave thing for them to be able to put their hand up and ask for help. And we need to be able to provide the support that they can uh, live a life and deal with what's happening without the need to use those substances. 
there have been some steps um, over the past few few years and, and big big leaps actually in changing culture about around mental illness. Uh, it's talked about a lot more, and there are public figures who sp- speak about their experiences of um, like depression and anxiety. But we definitely still have a long way to go in terms of the stigma of substance use. Mm. Just quickly, would you agree that the biopsychosocial model is a good way of viewing, I guess, why drug use kind of would turn into something quite serious, like a substance use disorder? Yeah, I think it um, it reflects the complexity of the issue, that it's not just about um, the uh, chemical properties of the drug, it's not just about... Mm. Um, um, it, you know, to some extent is about psychology as well as a person, but it's also related to a person's environment. And related to that, that's why we try and encourage a more holistic um, attitude to the treating of people with substance use and mental health conditions. Because mm-hmm. We're not just talking about one aspect of a person's life. We're talking about, you know, that being one part of a very big picture of that person's life um, and issues that need to be addressed. Yeah. And do you think that community attitudes towards drugs may dissuade some people from seeking treatment? Yeah, I, I would say that's a really big part of it, um, which is why I think so many people do delay seeking treatment, um, as Chris mentioned earlier. But it's also, um, in addition to the stigma, it's really hard to navigate our, our health system, even when you're relatively well, um, let alone when you're experiencing uh, one or, or two disorders that could have a impact on your ability to function. Um, so yes, firstly, it's very difficult to say that you need help, but then it's also very hard to know where to go. And uh, people with co-occurring mental and substance use disorders often face that uh, additional difficulty of trying to navigate between um, what are offering disparate services, um, offered through different service systems, um, and they end up sort of being bounced between them without much coordination of care. When combined with the stigma surrounding mental health, does this make the problem even worse? Uh, in terms of accessing treatment? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, e- even when you are... Well, it, it, it's interesting because people who have both substance use disorders and mental disorders actually have higher rates of treatment seeking than people who have either of those disorders alone, but that tends to be attributed to the fact that they uh, accumulate more um, ill health related to those conditions, so they're more likely to go and seek treatment. So they might go and see their GP, but often the topic of their substance use or their mental health doesn't come up, um, and that's often the real kind of underlying issues that uh, need to be addressed. Uh, for our listeners at home who believe that someone they know is struggling um, with substance use, what can they do to be a supportive friend? And also, where can people go to find out more information on the research you and Chris do? Firstly, I think remembering that there are effective treatments available and that people can get better, but it can take a number of attempts and also time for people to find the right treatment that works for them. So encouraging their friend or loved one to talk to their GP and potentially discuss a mental health plan might be helpful. Also remembering that it takes a great deal of courage to talk about it. And in terms of online information, this can be really helpful and really useful if you know where to look. But of course, there's a lot of unhelpful information out there as well. 
So one place that couldn't be helpful is that every state has an alcohol and drug information service that can be contacted for information on local services. And we also have online information available, particularly on the relationship between mental health and substance use, and also information for parents and teachers and adolescents. And these can all be accessed at www.comorbidity.edu.au. Thank you so much for that. And for everyone listening, we'll make sure to put all the links and information on our podcast page. Thank you, Catherine and Chris, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. You can find more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via email at brainwaves at wellways.org. Join us next week at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR. Next up, Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.